Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truths and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Joint Action Podcast, where we have the opportunity to talk about tips and tricks for increasing physical activity. Now, have you ever had great plans to wake up and go for a walk, only to find that you were not as enthusiastic when the time actually came to walk? Physical activity is not only important for people with osteoarthritis, but actually for all adults. Participating in physical activity can help to improve mobility, physical conditioning, and reduce the risk of falls. However, despite numerous health benefits of staying physically active, many older adults do not meet the recommended guidelines. We know it's often hard staying active, so wanted to unpack that, but also give some tips and tricks for staying active. And in this week's episode of Joint Action, we're joined by Mariana Wingood to discuss how we can increase our levels of physical activity. Mariana is a physiotherapist who received her doctorate in physical therapy from Sunny Upstate Medical University in 2012. In 2014, she became a certified exercise expert of aging adults. In 2015, a geriatric certified specialist. And in 2021, she completed a PhD in interprofessional health sciences and her master's in public health. Mariana's research interests are related to physical activity and aging, with a focus on addressing physical activity prescription barriers identified by outpatient physical therapists treating individuals 50 years and older. Hello, Mariana, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure and honor to be here today. 
Uh, it's absolutely our pleasure. And I know it's something that's very near and dear to many of our listeners' hearts. And I think a lot of the advice that I'm hoping you're going to give is going to be enormously useful for them. But before we get into the main content of today's show, which is obviously talking about tips and tricks for physical activity, just wondering if we could get to know you a little bit better. Can you share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day might look like for you? Sure. So I am in training. I'm a physical therapist. I was a physical therapist for seven years full time and then decided I wanted to do more research and go into academia because I realized that a lot of my patients were not getting the primary prevention they needed. So a lot of times in the US, especially people come to physical therapy once they have an injury instead of preventing that injury. So I wanted to really focus on physical activity and getting people more active and getting physical activity into healthcare. So then I got my PhD in human functioning and rehab, basically. And after I finished that, I decided to further increase my education through a what's called a postdoctoral fellowship. And that's what I'm doing right now in uh, Boston, Massachusetts in the US. And I'm here for two years to basically get better at doing research and uh, be able to write grants so I can look at more detail of how physical therapists can help older adults specifically be more active. So my typical day, I have one day of clinical care. So my Wednesday today, I spend in the clinic with patients all day, which I love because it reminds me why I'm doing research. And then the rest of the time I am, um, you know, doing, collecting data, analyzing the data and writing up manuscripts and my research findings and writing grants. That's most of my eight to five day. Yeah. It sounds sounds like a wonderful balance. And I think, as you said, maintaining some presence in the clinic is so important for hopefully maintaining some relevance and contact with the community that we're all here to serve. Absolutely. Mariana, when you're not doing your day job, what is it that you like to do? I love physical activity myself. I'm extremely active. Some may say I'm a little too active, but I do Ironmans and ultramarathons on the side. And when I'm not training for one of those, I'm hiking with my husband and my two puppies that are each 120 pounds, so 65 kilo. And I love exploring the world. Superb. Now, what sort of what sort of dogs are they? They're greater Swiss mountain dogs. <laughs> they sound enormous. And how many um, how many Ironmans or ultramarathons would you typically do every year? I have toned down a little bit. No, seven years ago, the year I was getting married, I did uh, 13 marathons and ultra marathons between January and September. I now typically do only one Ironman, a full Ironman a year, a couple halves, and then, you know, four marathons or so that I actually, I don't race, I pace for them. So if people want to obtain a certain goal, I help them accomplish that. Yeah. So it sounds like you really walk the talk, so to speak, as far as the physical activity remedy is concerned. How yes. do you manage to find the time to train um, and balance everything else in what sounds like a pretty busy life? Oh, that's a great question. You know, 
part of that is about prioritizing what's important to you. And to me, being active and trying to figure out this, why are people not active? How can I help them be active? And how can physical therapists being help them be active is really important to me. So I really prioritize that within my day. However, I won't lie, like in the heart of Ironman training, like right now, I do have to get up at 5am every day to fit in those workouts before work, and then usually after work as well. So sleep decreases a little bit for about two months, else there's no way to fit it in, and still make sure to spend time with family and other things. Yeah, well, kudos to you. It sounds uh, like a wonderful experience for you. Now, Mariana, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? I think the five words I would describe myself is competitive, dedicated, a bit stubborn, extremely energetic, and caring. Yeah, well, wonderful qualities. Of, of those qualities, if you just want to dig into them a little bit, which ones do you think are most important for your day job? Let's say that's you know working with people trying to promote physical activity. And which are more important for your... Um, recreational activities, so to speak? Yeah, um, I think the most important quality for my day job, especially for clinical care, is caring. I mean, the reason I went into physical therapy is because I wanted to thank all older adults for all that they have done for our society. I mean, it is those who are older than us that have kind of created the path ahead of us and have done so much, and I don't think we can thank them enough for what they've done which is why I went into physical therapy, focusing on the older adults. And it's also why I want to figure out how we can help them in a preventative manner. So I think that is probably the best one for my day job. And I think (laughs) my competitive drive has definitely helped me remain active after college with switching from playing collegiate soccer and running track to doing more Ironmans and ultramarathons. They all sound like wonderful qualities, irrespective. So kudos again to you. Now, Mariana, the main content of what we want to get into today is really talking about physical activity in in older adults and hopefully some information that'll garner people practical advice to keeping them physically active. But before we, I guess, get into some tips and tricks, how much physical activity do older adults need? Yeah. Um, so any physical activity is good. It used to say that people should do at least bouts of 10 minutes of activity at a time, but really any movement is good movement. The Really the goal of having about 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity. You can also do 75 minutes of vigorous activity or combining those two in an aerobic form. Then it's really important to incorporate muscle strengthening at a moderate or greater level. And that should be done twice a week or more. And, you know, those pieces are actually the same for older adults as well as uh, younger adults. For older adults, it's also really important to include what they call multi-component physical activity. And that really just means emphasizing balance and strength training that helps complete uh, functional tasks throughout the day. And that should be done three days a week, which sounds like a lot. But the important piece that to remember is that physical activity can be interwoven throughout the day. Physical activity can include gardening. It can include going for walks with friends. It can include carrying groceries, which tend to be heavier. So all those pieces are counted for that. 
Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful practical advice. Just to unpack a couple of the terms that you use there so we can help to identify a little bit more what they are. So you mentioned, at least for moderate physical activity, that you'd advocate 150 minutes a week and vigorous 75 minutes a week as, as a minimum. What would you translate the moderate and vigorous into? Given that people probably look at those terms and they don't entirely know what they mean, what level of intensity and what types of activity might be related to those physical activities? Yeah, so the type of activity really depends on the person. People sometimes use heart rate to tell what is moderate versus what is vigorous. But an easier version of doing that is doing what's called a talk test. And that's simply a meaning uh, talking while walking. For example, if you're doing walking as a aerobic activity and a moderate intensity walking is that you're able to talk but can't sing. So you're able to have a conversation, but you wouldn't be able to sing along while you're walking. While more rigorous intensity is you can say a couple words, but you need to take a breath before you finish your sentence. So you can't really finish a full sentence. So that's called the talk test. And that's an easier way of determining what's moderate versus vigorous versus light, where you could sing and walk at the same time. Yeah. How many people do you see singing as you uh, do exercise when you're out there? No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> um, Sometimes I sing them to get them to do exercise because I'm such an awful singer that people are like, oh, stop, I'll do the exercises. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> now, you've done some wonderful work looking at what a proportion of adults actually get enough exercise. How many adults in the study that you did are actually getting enough exercise? And I guess with that question, how generalizable do you think that is to the broader community? Yeah, that's a great question. So the study we did is among USA citizens. So I want to emphasize that. And among them, when we look at all three pieces, so the aerobic piece, the strengthening and the balance piece, 11% completed all three of those components as recommended. And then we, when we broke it down to just looking at aerobic, just looking at strengthening, and just looking at balance, 39% did the aerobic piece, and uh, 26 performed just the strengthening, and 41% performed the balance activities. And because in general, the data aligns pretty well between the U.S. physical activity data and the European physical activity data, it aligns pretty well. I think it's pretty generalizable outside of the U.S. regarding what they do. Um, and research shows that, you know, the number one activity most adults, aging adults do is walking, no matter what, which was a piece that we also found with our study. Yeah. So that's really helpful because obviously it, it gives us a baseline as to, you know, where we're at with regards to physical activity prescription, so to speak, in adherence to the goals that we might like to set. Now, in addition to that wonderful work that you did, you also did some tremendous work looking at the impact of COVID-19 and some of the, the barriers that that introduced to people being active. Can you just tell us a little bit about that work? Yeah, you know, COVID-19 impacted everyone in various manners. And unfortunately, one piece that's been shown is that with those low levels of achieving physical activity, COVID-19 actually 
decrease the amount of activity done among aging adults. And in the study, it was adults 50 years and older. And one thing we found out that among those that had a reduction in physical activity during COVID-19, some of the reasons for that were surprising and some were not too surprising. The not too surprising one was really to do with uh, not having access to places to go work out. A lot of, you know, things were shut down. People couldn't go to the gym. They were afraid to go to the park, even to go get their physical activity, which is not surprising at all. The other one that's not really surprising is a difficulty to being committed to physical activity. It is known that a lot of people try to be active and start being active, but remaining active can be challenging, especially when other things come up. Um, So that was another piece that we found during our study. Moving on to the more interesting findings was one of the uh, physical activity barriers we identified to be associated with a reduction in physical activity during COVID was actually feeling anxious about physical activity. And initially we were like, oh, this is interesting. And then we thought about it some more. And it makes sense that um, a lot of people were anxious about not only being physically active, but being physically active in a space where other people are around, being physically active, where they may increase their risk of having or obtaining COVID or being exposed to COVID. So it makes sense that anxiety related to physical activity impacted their ability to be active. The other fascinating finding was that actually People who self-identified, so they are people that said, I have a heart or lung associated diagnosis that is impacting my ability to do physical activity. And people who reported a fall over the last year actually had, were less likely to do less physical activity. So they are more likely kind of to remain active during COVID and didn't really change their physical activity during COVID. And we were like, oh, wow, this is fascinating because these individuals usually actually are less likely to be active prior to COVID. So we thought about it um, and why that may be. In the physical activity research, uh, there's a lot of information about why do some people decide to be active and some people not to be active. And that's all explained by theories and models and other ways of representing that decision. And, you know, one of those models is called the health belief model. And um, within the health belief model, they have found multiple factors that make someone decide if they're going to be physically active. And for the population who has self-identified having a diagnosis related to cardiac or lung issues, those individuals have higher uh, perceptions of having a risk of having an illness that's get worse if they don't do something about it. They also have this perception of if they don't do physical activity, I am going to be in trouble. I need to stay active. They also perceive greater benefits in physical activity. They also may get more what's called cues to action. And those are really stimuli that can be internal. So internal stimuli is something Like if I'm not active, I have more shortness of breath. So I need to stay active so I don't have shortness of breath. Or if I don't 
keep moving. If I sit here all day, I'm going to have stiffness in my knee. So I need to keep moving so I don't have stiffness in my knee. Those are kind of internal cues to action. And external cues tend to come from fam family members, healthcare providers, media. Those are the cues. Hey, you know, you have a diagnosis that really benefits from physical activity. Don't forget to remain active. So kind of those pieces all align and make sense why someone with such a diagnosis would be uh, less likely to be less active or more active during COVID-19. And I know I just unpacked a lot of information there. No, it's really helpful information because Mariana, I think for a lot of people, they probably understand a lot of the barriers that you were referring to there. Um, and they relate quite well to some of the issues that you described there, whether it be, you know, access to spaces and places that you could be active you know, challenges with other health complaints, potentially limiting their ability to, to remain physically active. So, you know, with all of that in mind, how can we address some of the barriers that you've identified and, you know, any practical tips that you might have for people who are wanting to try to improve their exercise or physical activity? Yeah. I think my number one advice is that physical activity is so individualized to the person. There's no one intervention or one recommendation for all. And part of it has to do with what is your personal goal and identifying that personal goal and writing it down is really important, not just saying it out loud, writing it down and talking to friends about it, because that makes you more accountable to accomplish that goal. And when you write down a goal, it's so important to also make it specific, such as what are you planning on doing? Add a number to it. If your goal is to be able to dance at your granddaughter's wedding, you know, saying that, hey, I'm going to be able in six months at my granddaughter's wedding, I'm going to dance for two hours. That's my goal. So it's really specific. And that goal is also measurable. How do I know if I accomplish that goal? And then creating smaller goals to get up to it. Let's say you're having trouble moving for, you know, more than five minutes at the moment, have a weekly goal of increasing your movement by one minute in total and slowly work your way up to it. You know, just breaking that task down because sometimes having such a large goal is overwhelming and overwhelming does not help anyone with accomplishing anything. So, you know, that's really the first part is to uh, write down a goal that's really meaningful to you and not someone else. And then try to work towards that goal, you know, those smaller goals and figure out, is there something that's stopping you from those goals? You know, is it the barrier of not having access to something? Is it the barrier of you just don't know how to be physically active or whatever it may be? And a lot of healthcare providers, exercise experts can help you overcome those goals if you are not sure of the solutions, because those really need individualized solution and problems uh, solving. But you can also try to think of some options yourself, you know, uh, resources or recreational places to go be physically active is a really common barrier mentioned. But as I said earlier, physical activity isn't always I'm going to the gym. That's just that's exercise, which is part of physical activity. You can do physical activity in your living room. You can move some of the coffee table aside and do some dancing, you know, during a commercial break of a 
commercial break of a TV show you're watching, turn on your favorite song and just dance to it in the living room. Um, whatever it may be that you enjoy, just incorporating it that way and trying to be creative. Um, there's no wrong or right in this. So it's just really all about you. Oh, it's sensational advice and hopefully people can can pick that up. And for people who want to, I guess, dig in a little bit more to some of the concepts that Mariana was talking there about setting goals and behavior change, please take a listen to one of the episodes in the library from Shannon Maholko on, on behavior change strategies. Now, one of the important concepts that you spoke about there, Mariana, was really this needs to be about you and your personal goals and some of the challenges that people face are probably looking at the laundry list of what their colleagues and friends and uh, clinicians may be advising them to do, but that doesn't relate to the, to them. So how, how might you think better in terms of getting people to individualize some of those physical activity interventions? Yeah, I think one way is to prioritize what is important to you and what needs to be accomplished to achieve what's important to you. Um, you know, may that be the dancing at your granddaughter's wedding, may that be walking a 5k with your daughter, whatever that is, it really needs to be personalized to that person. Um, you know, another piece is that we can modify all physical activity to accommodate whatever that person needs are. So we talked about how walking is a really common form of physical activity, but not everyone can walk and that's okay. You can do things like standing and marching in place during a commercial ad, you know, taking one minute up and just marching in place is a great way to modify for going from a walk for 10 minutes. So it's really figuring out what works best for you and what you enjoy. And it's also important, you know, especially if pain is present, pain interferes with a lot of physical activity in general. It's important to find something that is not going to irritate you, you know, down the line, like in a couple hours or the next day. For example, power training is becoming really big among older adults and really working on that force um, of being able to react, especially if you have a loss of balance, you have to be able to step quickly in order to recover. So some older adults, you know, have been starting talking about plyometrics, which is like jump training and um, doing agility ladders and um, lifting things really fast and adding a lot of power to that. And that's not always the best thing for that individual. But it's important to remember that, you know, power has two pieces. It has a force and a velocity. And you may not initially be able to do the force piece, but you can focus on a velocity. And then slowly, as you get stronger, incorporate more force. And physical therapists are great individuals and exercise experts to help you kind of figure out how you can modify these things if they don't work for you. But in the end, the main piece is what is your personal goal? And how can you accomplish that goal? Yeah, that's really superb. And I'm, again, really hoping that people take away a lot of this practical advice. And I guess particularly just to emphasize the last point that you were making, Mariana, there, that if people are struggling with technique or suggestions, please go along and visit your, you know, your local physical therapist, and hopefully they'll be able to provide you some practical advice. 
A quick note before we dive into the second half of this episode. We love getting your feedback and things that we should focus on, what we're doing well, and ideas for new topics to discuss. These mainly come through our email on hello at jointaction.info, but we'd love to hear more through our Twitter account at jointaction.org. There, you can hear from your fellow listeners. We can have a lively discussion about new topics and what questions you might have. So again, that's jointaction.org on Twitter, and we look forward to hearing from you. And obviously, if you have a friend that has arthritis and you think they might benefit from the show, please recommend it to them. And Mariana, one of my more enjoyable parts of the show is just getting back to to know you a little bit better. And we're just going to get into the the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to throw something at you if you just come back with something that reflects who you are. So favorite book? Probably currently Successful Aging by Danielle Levitin. Keeping the work going. Um, favorite movie? <laughs> Footloose or Grease, nice musical. Superb. Dog or a cat person? Uh, actually, both. Okay. Keeping it on the fence. Favorite quote? It's probably a quote by Jackson Brown, which is, don't say you don't have enough time. You have exactly the same amount of hours per day that were given to Helen Keller, Pasture, Michelangelo, Mother Teresa, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Jefferson, and Albert Einstein. Yeah, but would you like to have more time? Always. <laughs> There's never enough time. <laughs> what, what's your favorite food? I am a health food junkie. So currently it's uh, power bowls full of salmon, avocados, nuts. That would be my favorite. Sounds wonderful. Do you have a bad habit? I asked my husband this question the other day and it's a, he said, because I couldn't think of one. Basically, if I ask him to do something and he doesn't do it fast enough, I jump in front of him and just do it for him. <laughs> okay. I'm sure that's not hurting him, but where would you next like to go on holiday? I think I would like to either bike across Europe or uh, do a running vacation in the Alps. Now, what superpower would you have? Stopping time so I can get more done. Interesting looking at the contrast between your answers. <laughs> but if, now, if you could meet anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Probably one of my favorite geriatricians researcher, Mary Tinetti. Wonderful. And what would you do if money were not an issue? I would probably take a year off and just go explore the world. Sounds wonderful. Now, again, more so in an effort to get to know you a little bit better, but I think also because I learn a lot from talking to people like yourself. If you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? I think, especially in the US, I would increase a focus on prevention and using what's called health promoting behaviors in clinical practice. So increasing the promotion of behavior change and uh, incorporating regular physical activity, healthy eating, sleep hygiene, and so many other pieces that are just absent in healthcare at the moment. Yeah, it's a a huge challenge. I don't think it's necessary just the US. I mean, I think most healthcare systems around the world are very sickness focused as opposed to mm-hmm. wellness focused. We react to disease and we don't necessarily promote health as best we can. So lots and lots of room for improvement. Now, yes. how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things? 
Yeah. So thankfully, as a postdoctoral fellow, my job is to learn. So it's nice to have time incorporated within the day to keep learning. But when I'm not learning through my work, I love listening to audiobooks. And I also tend to have copies of various journals everywhere, you know, the kitchen table next to my bed, next to my couch. So if I sit down, I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. And I'll open up a journal and read it. And, uh, you know, if you asked me this 10 years ago, I would have never thought this would be my answer. But Twitter, uh, social media is another way that I have kept up on research. I follow a lot of professional researchers and professional healthcare providers. And learning from them is a great way for me to keep improving myself as well. That's some great tips for everybody there, I think, in terms of staying staying abreast of the knowledge base because it's always changing. Yes. Now, you've already given us some wonderful practical advice about staying active, but are there any particularly patient-friendly resources that you'd like to share with our listeners? And we'll, we'll include presumably both the links that Marianne is about to say, but also some of the journal articles that Marianne has been involved in in the show notes. Yeah, I would gladly share some resources. You know, I think one positive of COVID is that there's been more and more resources on the internet, especially relating to how to be physically active in your own home. So some of those resources uh, that were actually available before, but are uh, more highlighted, I think now there's a great one called uh, Go for Life. Um, which is actually put on by the National Institute of Aging here in the U.S. And it's a, uh, so it's a government-based website that has come together to provide physical activity exercise recommendations with videos and how to do the exercises for older adults specifically. The similar resource is uh, Vivi Frail which actually has exercises for people who are slightly frailer, who um, have trouble getting out of a chair versus someone who is pretty active on a regular basis. So it provides more options of various exercises to do. And then the National Council on Aging, NCOA, has a lot of resources regarding physical activity, also other factors like nutrition, fall prevention, and even economic stability and addressing uh, concerns related to social and financial issues that aging adults face. So that's another great website with a lot of resources. That sounds superb. And hopefully a lot of information there that people can dig into further. Now, I guess one of my favorite questions, particularly learning from people like yourself is, you know, why do you do what you do? What what motivates you? What motivates me is really my one day a week in the clinic and uh, seeing patients and seeing the need to really promote prevention. So many things I treat could have been prevented. And uh, knowing how what they're going through at the moment and how it's impacting their life is really motivating me more to really promote that prevention piece and figure out how we can really incorporate that into healthcare. My focus being physical activity. Well, I hope your enthusiasm in in the workplace uh, continues to roll through because it sounds such an important role to play. We need to have more positive, influential people like you interfacing with people out there who, who face these challenges. And Mariana, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? 
I feel like billboard with like local tricks and tips of how to stay active in their community would be really helpful. It could have resources for local programs. There's always more programs in our community than we really realize. But I would also love this billboard to have a way of others to find workout buddies. You know, having a buddy to work out with is another way to increase that accountability. And for most people, we are social beings and just having another human to share an experience with can be a good way of addressing some barriers and really having a fun time while being active. So I think that would be my key piece. Yeah, they're great, great suggestions, because I think a lot of, you know, the generic advice that's given in guidelines and recommendations might be suitable for some communities. But obviously, this is very context specific. And if you live in an area that's, you know, inundated with snow or ice, that might not be suitable for going for a swim at the beach, for example. So it's really, yeah, really, really helpful advice. Just in closing, is there any one piece of advice knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people who have osteoarthritis? Everyone's journey with osteoarthritis is different. I actually will admit, even though I do all these crazy activities and people are always shocked, I was actually diagnosed with osteoarthritis at the age of 28. And my physician told me to stop running, stop doing everything that I was doing, but it was such a big part of my identity. I couldn't really fully let go of running. So I switched to more trail running and more, you know, Ironmans, which also have a lot of running, but focusing on cycling. But my point is that everyone also has a bad day and good days, no matter what. And even though I remain active, there's days where my pain and swelling is really unhappy with me, let's just say that way. And I have to modify things and it's okay to modify it. But it's important to be able to go back to the things that bring you joy because, you know, that's that's really, really important. And for me, that's remaining as highly active as I can. And it's important for whoever you are to find what brings you joy day to day basis. Yeah, that's a, a wonderful place to close, Mariana. And thank you for sharing that piece of personal information, because I, I think obviously that introduces a whole lot of personal relevance that comes from you and the experience that you've been having. But I just want to close in, in thanking you so much for the the insights, the practical tips, the thoughts, the knowledge that you've shared with us today. It's It's brilliant. And I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Thank you. Thank you for this great opportunity and for doing this for the listeners. Now, Recognizing fully that for many of you, physical activity is a challenge and there are lots of barriers to that. The focus of today really was to remind you about the importance of aerobic physical conditioning exercise, strengthening exercise, and for older adults, particularly balance activities, and what we as health professionals would advocate that you get. It's obviously also hopefully helpful in Mariana's advice in terms of you know, unpacking what the barriers are for you and really tackling those barriers and creating goals that are personal to you as to why you want to remain physically active and what you want to get out of it. So again, hoping that you found the content of today helpful. We'll include uh, many of the links that Mariana mentioned in the show notes so that hopefully you can unpack much of that and dig into a little bit further. But between now 
And when I speak to you next time, please do take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 